We get the opportunity today to continue on in our teaching series in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present to you as a pure version to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. When I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the reasons of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So if you were, here, here's the situation that is going on right here. The Apostle Paul is kind of finding himself in the situation where he is defending himself against people who are coming into a church that he planted, that he cared for, that he was the pastor, the overseer of that church. And they're saying, no, 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 the, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, Paul's a liar. Paul just took advantage of you. Here's the real deal. Here's the real truth. So if you were a pastor, how would you convince your congregation that you really love them and that you are authentic in your leadership? Well, Paul says this. He, he compares himself to a father caring for his children. They were his beloved children, and he wanted the very best for them. Risen King family, you guys are my spiritual children, and I want the very best for you, just as the apostle Paul wanted the best for the church in Corinth. He had preached to them the true gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus as the only way to salvation. His leading them to follow Jesus should have been enough to his credit of who he was. But false teacher caused them to doubt Paul's authenticity. And so they began to doubt what he taught. So Paul brings his case to them to try and help them remember his ministry of love and care for them. In verse 1, Paul asks his readers to put up with a little bit of foolish boasting. He says, I hope you'll put up with me just a little foolishness. 
Paul asked the Corinthians, he says, bear with me as I talk a little bit foolishly to you. In other words, Paul felt foolish even having to tell them what his credentials were to them, how he had lovingly cared for them, how he had been with them, how he had preached to them the true gospel. What Paul had to do literally made him sick to his stomach, but it was necessary. Sometimes we as leaders have to do things that make us sick to our stomach. It puts us in in uncomfortable positions, but it's the right thing to do on behalf of our churches and the gospel. And Paul is motivated by a troubled, loving concern for the spiritual welfare of his children in Jesus, his spiritual children. And he speaks about himself in order to counteract these intruders who had come into the church trying to discredit, to destroy Paul, to get the church in Corinth to discard Paul. So Paul wants to try to lead them back, not only into a state of love and respect with him, but he's trying to lead them back to, to Jesus. And Paul depicts himself as a father. And the Corinthian church as the daughter who is being prepared for marriage. Look at verses 2 to 4. And and look at this. It says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present to you as a pure version to him. Paul addresses this church as a bride that he has engaged to Christ. It's his daughter that he has given over to Christ. The statement literally means when you fit something together, when you're promised to one husband, it literally means to fit together. It's, it's, it's a term used for a carpenter joining wood together or fitting clothes or armor together or an arrangement of music. See, Paul sees his journey with the church the same way a parent looks at their child. He's responsible for their upbringing, and he's jealous of what they do with their life because he wants them to be pure. He wants them to be worthy of the husband that he is giving them over to. See, engagement is an intimate and sacred relationship because of the great promise of future relationship it holds. So Paul paints this scene of a father walking his daughter down the aisle on her wedding day. He's a father who lovingly and caringly seeks to nurture and mature his daughter, the church, so to someday present her as a faithful, pure, and undefiled to her husband, Christ. Now, now this isn't something that's easily accomplished at all. I can tell you, I've been several years of ministry. As a matter of fact, on June 11th, I began my 10th year, 10th year of ministry here at Risen King Church. And I can tell you that this is no easy task to try to lovingly cause a church to grow and mature and to being able to proudly present them to to Jesus. This This isn't easy because there's a lot of immoral, religiously pagan society that the Corinthians lived in and there was false teaching that they were receiving. And it's the same thing that's true in our society. There is a lot of paganism masquerading itself as religiousness, even masquerading itself as Christianity. And there's a lot of false teaching that kind of comes in to the church. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. You can live whichever way you want. The Bible is an outdated book. It has nothing to tell me for today and the way that I should live my life but you love to quote the bible for inspirational quotes as to how somebody else should live their life no scriptures god breathed 
It's for us. It's to educate us. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. This is like a mountain and every religion is climbing up a different side until we all reach the same goal. No, no, no. That is intellectually and philosophically incorrect. Two plus two equals four. But two plus three cannot equal four. Neither can two plus four equal four. It is just intellectually dishonest. Each one of those equations leads to a different value in the same way that each one of the faiths lead to different places. Comparing Jesus and saying Jesus is the equivalent of Buddha or Muhammad or Allah is something that is intellectually dishonest. They are fundamentally different. In verses 3 and 4, we learned that the Corinthians, they're in danger of being seduced by people who wanted to lure them away from the gospel. Though they thought otherwise, they were really in danger. I can't tell you how many times I, as a pastor, have looked on on social media and have seen some of the things that are going on in our world or some of the posts that maybe some people in our congregation have made. And I've thought to myself, that person has no idea that they are in a serious state of spiritual danger. In verse 3, we see the tragedy of Eden reenacted all over again. And Paul says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Though many members of the Corinthian church thought otherwise, here's the truth. They were in real danger. The church's situation is compared to Eve's own downfall. Instead of resisting, they were in grave danger of being seduced into unfaithfulness and disobedience by the serpent like like imposters that had invaded the church. In the same way that the serpent had enticed Eve through his craftiness, so the devil's human representatives were captivating the minds of believers in Corinth. These people cast doubt on God's promises and Paul's apostolic authority. They sought to destroy the unity of the church by placing division instead. And Satan, what he did, he began to focus his attack on the Corinthian church on the mind. He, he attempts us, just like, just like he does today. He attacks our mind. He attempts to get us to listen to his lies and to accept them. Oh, no, 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 that church doesn't care about you. Oh, no, your husband doesn't care about you. Or your children don't want anything to do with you. And what he does is he embeds insecurity inside of you. And ultimately, what he gets us to do is doubt God's word and doubt God's goodness. And he substitutes God's word with a lie. Paul wanted the Corinthians to remain simply and purely devoted to Jesus. That meant being completely open to God. It it meant saying, Lord, whatever you want is what I want. In other words, keep Christ first in your life. Keeping Christ first, man, that's difficult if we let distractions threaten to sidetrack us. Just as Eve lost her focus by listening to the serpent, we too can be led astray by becoming too busy, confused? So is there anything in your life that's distracting you from a relationship with Jesus? Is there anything in your life that's weakening your commitment or keeping you from being completely open to God? Man, God just simply wants your heart. He wants your passion. Don't be deceived by the busyness or the other distractions or voices. 
So false teachers came. They preached another Jesus than the one who's sinless, the only begotten Son of God, co-equal with God, who died for our sin, who rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. What they began to teach is spiritual bondage. They began to say, hey, this is the way to get to God. It is rules. It is the way you dress. You must sing your songs in this format. Your services must be in this way. You need to work towards a relationship with God. Well, that's called legalism. And they began to teach bondage to the culture of this world, not the spirit of liberty, not the spirit of love, joy, and peace that Jesus represents. They literally preached a different gospel than turning, in, turning to a relationship with Jesus and following him from a heart of love. The Corinthian believers smell, fell for the smooth talk and messages that sounded good and they seemed to make sense in the moment. Let me just, let me just give you a clue and an indication because we, we live in an age of celebrity. And celebrity, even in the evangelical world, don't believe someone simply because he or she sounds like an authority or you, the words that they say sound eloquent or the way that they deliver it sound good. Man, search the Bible and check to see if it's in God's word. The Bible is our guide. Don't listen to any authoritative celebrity preacher who contradicts God's word. In verse 5, Paul sarcastically refers to these false teachers as the super apostles. Reminds me of uh, the old cartoons of Superman. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's super apostles. They were trying to get the church community to turn against him. He goes, I, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. Paul's opponents at Corinth had an inflated opinion about themselves. They called themselves apostles, and they literally outright claimed to be better than Paul. There is nothing more disgusting in the world than ministerial, pastoral jealousy. We're in this together. Church family, we are in this together. We serve together. We volunteer together. The church moves forward because we are together. When the enemy succeeds in driving a wedge, the mission of the church is halted. Paul's pastoral abilities apparently didn't meet the standard of some of the church members in the church in Corinth. He said, verse 6, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Paul's saying, maybe I didn't have the seminary degree. Maybe I don't have the qualification. Maybe I don't speak the way you want me to speak. Maybe I don't have the flair and the lights the way you want me to have the flair and the lights. Maybe I don't communicate in the way that you want me to communicate. Maybe I'm not as gentle in my preaching as you want me to be. Maybe I'm not as harsh and as Pentecostal in my preaching as you want me to be. Maybe I am not reading the Lecto Divina the way you want me to preach. Paul's answer to those accusations against him by these people, he said, maybe I'm untrained. He says, maybe I'm an unskilled person. Maybe, maybe I don't have any type of professional training in this pastoral work. Maybe I don't have skill in rhetoric and philosophy. But Paul knew that the hearts of those in this church were darkened by sin. Paul says that whatever deficiencies he might have had in style as a speaker, 
He had no inadequacies in knowledge or in his experience and his relationship with Jesus. These false teachers in Corinth may have had training. Maybe they possessed knowledge. But Paul possessed something greater. He possessed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Too many people today are attracted by appearance and how someone speaks and how someone says what they're trying to communicate. Let me tell you, I have listened to enough preachers in my life where I've seen people jump up and down in the seat and be just so excited for everything. And at the end of the service, I can walk out after I've seen them and say, I, I just I have yet to understand what was fully communicated because nothing of scripture was explained. There was a lot of fluff and minimal teaching to the church. But people get all excited about that stuff. They jump up and down. I'm just so excited. I can't believe that they just said that. I mean, the emotions just fill the air. But really, we need to be more concerned about what is in the content of what somebody's saying. We should be looking towards what's being said, not the flair of the person who's saying it. The Corinthians, they'd left their first love. They were no longer following Christ with single-hearted devotion. They wanted easy listening instead of the truth. They wanted sermons to be enjoyable. They wanted to know how to live their best life today instead of, instead of focusing on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of being focused on being filled with the power of God, man. I I just, let, let me just tell you this church. I mean, we have contented ourselves with coming into a church building, sitting down in a comfortable chair, enjoying the lights and the flair and the newness of everything. We have truly, truly forgotten what it means to follow Jesus. We've truly forgotten what it means to carry the Bible around with us and for it to be our sword of the Spirit. We have forgotten what it is to pray to the Lord to come up to the stage, which we've called the altar, and to really desperately cry out to God for his power, for his help. We have forgotten, desperately forgotten our need for God. We have forgotten the glory of God as it has moved before. We need to see a move of God, a move of God's power. Enough of the flair, enough of the show. Show me God's power in your life. Show me the depth of your relationship with God in your life. We need the power of Pentecost. Friends, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not so much that they turned against Paul, but that they turned away from Jesus, this church. Man, we need a living faith founded upon the truth of the gospel instead of any type of emotional fervor or religious participation. What is the new normal that everybody continues to talk about so much? The new normal needs to be that the church of Jesus Christ gathers together on a weekly basis to worship Christ, to study the Bible together, to pray at these altars together, to pray for one another no matter your socioeconomic background or what race you come from or where you grew up or what language you speak. We need brothers and sisters to lock arms with and say, we're in this together we're in the fight together to see God's kingdom grow to see our lives grow 
And there's nothing that destroys a church, a movement, or a denomination more than disunity and jealousy. We need to say, hey, I, I'm, I am with my brother in his failures and his successes. We need to be so raw and so honest with one another that the veil that we put up, the mask that so often we put up to other people is torn away and the real us can be seen. The authentic, genuine, Jesus-loving us. I have some pretty raw questions to ask you today. Does your life speak to the fact that you're in a relationship with Jesus? Is Christ the one that you're faithful to, the one that you're trying to please with your life? Is your relationship going more and more satisfying with Jesus, or are you more and more distant? Do you have an intense relationship with him or a sporadic relationship with God? We need to take note of where we're at with God. Because, friends, we're getting to the point where we're coming back to our church facility to be able to worship together. And this new normal, it's got to be better than what we left behind. The presence of God needs to be more powerful than what we left behind. Our relationship with God needs to be more powerful than what we left behind. There is some stuff pre-COVID-19 that this quarantines need to have killed. There's some stuff in our life that just need to go away. They need to have died. Our pride needs to have died. Our lack of authenticity needs to have died. Our lack of prioritizing Jesus and his church, that needs to have died. We need to walk in to this place victorious, ready to receive the fullness of all that God has for us. And that only comes with being honest and assessing ourselves and seeing where we're at in our relationship with God. If this is you and you're saying, maybe this quarantine has gotten me to a place where I have not grown in my relationship with God. There isn't a depth to my relationship with God. I've kind of felt like I've been floating around and kind of not knowing what to do with myself. Well, this is the time to reconnect, re-engage, and choose to grow in Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you that you are the answer to all the challenges we have in life most especially our sins. I surrender to you now. I ask you to have your way in me. That you may be glorified, Lord, in all that we do. May the power of the Holy Spirit rest in our hearts, our lives, Lord God. We want all of you, Lord Jesus, all that you have for us, God. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. We repent of placing other things before you, Lord Jesus. We're ready to turn back. We're ready to come home. We're ready to experience all that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Friends, I just want to tell you, I love you, Risen King family. Last week, two weeks ago, I celebrated my 10th year 
as a pastor. You have seen me grow as a man of God. You have seen me mature as a pastor. You've seen me get married. You've seen each one of my three children come to know and love our church family. It has been an exciting ride as your lead pastor. And I'm excited that God has given me the grace to be your spiritual leader, your spiritual father for these last 10 years. And I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to what Jesus has in these next several years. I am looking forward to returning with passion. I am looking forward to seeing God's power presence, his miracles function in this place. I'm looking forward to seeing each and every one of you. Because honestly and truly, I genuinely, I genuinely miss you. I miss seeing your faces on a weekly basis. I miss talking to you. I miss hugging you. I miss shaking your hand. I miss asking you about your life and your children. I miss the conversations that we've shared and the times of fellowship that we've enjoyed. You're hearing today from a pastor who misses his church family. I love you so very much. Please continue to pray for me and my family that God would continue to give us the energy, the motivation, the wisdom, the intelligence, the knowledge, and the strategies to guide our church forward in this new season that we are living in. If you need prayer, would you go to risenkingchurch.com forward slash prayer. If you're here for the first time, would you go to risenkingchurch.com forward slash connect. Until next time, church family, stay connected. Happy Father's Day.